0: Do it. Do it. Welcome to the Austin Otaku Podcast, hosted by Jesse McDonald and Keith Goode.
1: Welcome back to the Austin Otaku Podcast, everyone. My name is Jesse McDonald, and joined once again by the ever-late Keith Goode. Keith, how are you doing?
0: uh wow that's actually quite accurate <laughs> i was gonna say that's not uh that's not uh wrong is it because th- there have been a couple of meetings that i uh well, actually a number of meetings per week I, i'm trailing in about two minutes late to it's it's not that i'm actually running late it's just i don't want to be there <laughs> okay. Very fair. yeah how about yourself how's it going
1: Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, gearing up for next weekend for Halloween, uh, the absolute favorite time of the year. So, yeah, things are are fun and spooky around the house right now. Should we call you Jack? You your... can if you'd like. Uh, I was known in high school for my Jack Skellington beanie, so it wouldn't be uh, out of out of character. <laughs> it's a great time of year. Oh, totally. I think. I think. I think. Well... Very excited for our guest this week, someone that we've both known for a little while and an incredibly interesting person. We're going a little out of our normal path today. Ordinarily, we talk to people who are successful in their full-time jobs and happen to have some pretty amazing hobbies and side passions. Today, however, we're talking to someone whose full-time job actually covers many of the areas we talk about on the show. Our guest today is the friend of both Keith and myself, James Hibbard. He is an editor-at-large at at Entertainment Weekly, entertainment podcaster, and author of the recently released Fire Cannot Kill a Dragon, Game of Thrones, and the official untold story of the epic series. Some of his beats for Entertainment Weekly have included, of course, Game of Thrones, Star Trek Discovery, Westworld, DC's Justice League, and a favorite of both myself and Keith, The Mandalorian. In his spare time, he enjoys hiking, working out, and hatchet throwing— you can catch him on his own podcast with co-host Darren Frannick, called EW's Game of Thrones Weekly. It's on pretty much every podcast platform. So, with that, welcome to the show,
2: James Hibbard. I'm so, I'm so glad I got to uh, hear your intro, because I now finally know how to pronounce the name of your podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know. We did it. We did it. We've got one more convert. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we're now at
1: fifteen people.
0: <laughs> well, we're at twenty-five now. We get about an average of twenty-five uh, hey. every every week listening to this, and unless we get somebody super special on, like Mark Holcomb or Casey Marquis. Uh, you know, then we'll get up on into the uh, further double digits, not quite triple digits, and then of course there is our joke episode with uh, Gary, which uh, is still our highest-rated uh, podcast episode to date. And it was only five minutes long. That's probably why people like it the most.
1: <laughs> probably, they had no choice. <laughs> well, how are you I'll, doing, James?
2: I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. Uh, we've been uh, just just kind of, you know, the the book came out like uh, two weeks ago now. It just seems like it's 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 been out for for years at this point, and uh, <laughs> been doing rounds of interviews and that sort of thing. And uh, you know, excited to talk to you guys.
0: Well, hey, that's how movies work now. They come out and then a week later they're uh, released to uh, streaming and or DVD. So, you know, uh, it is almost an eternity in the entertainment industry, I would say.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Well, you know, especially now during the pandemic, it's, 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 it's it's just like, it's, it's accelerated the the trend of everything going to, 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 to streaming, you know, as quick as possible. <laughs> uh, when you have, uh, you know, titles that are originally supposed to meant be released in the theater now, now, now being released on streaming instead and and so forth. You know, uh, unless you're, you know, Christopher Nolan, then you can sort of force tenant to like still open in theaters. (laughs) Well, Well,
0: keep in mind, you know, we experience about a year's worth of news every single day. So, you know, I think we're making our collective ADHD a lot worse in the pandemic.
1: (laughs) I totally agree. It's, it's, I feel like I'm constantly bombarded with everything from every direction now.
0: Mm hmm. Mm hmm.
1: Yeah. But this is fine. This is fine. This is fine. Yeah. So, uh,
0: Jesse and I know you, uh, James. Mm-hmm. Luke, why don't you take a minute to let our listeners know who you are and tell us a little bit about yourself professionally and, uh, personally?
2: Oh, man. The last thing I, I, I always want to do is, is, is tell anybody who I am. Uh, so, um, it's <laughs> not yeah, that you
1: sell books, man. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I'm uh editor at large at Entertainment Weekly where I've worked there for um about 10 years now. And uh live here in Austin and uh you know one of my beats at uh, EW has been covering Game of Thrones. I basically started a few months before the first season began and uh you know I've, I've covered many shows, many films, but but that's been a pretty big area of, you know, of focus. Um, probably written hundreds of stories about it at this point and, uh, and now this book. So, um, and uh, you know, there's obviously a a prequel series coming out. So probably more to write in the future, but uh, now starting to expand out and cover more different things.
0: Yeah. I heard about that. That should, should be very interesting. They're going further back in time to the age of dragons and, uh doing a game of thrones related to that that's that's pretty cool stuff
2: yeah house of the dragon takes place uh, like 300 years before the events in in game of thrones so um so everything's going to kind of look a bit different but not too different and uh and tell uh, a story that, that that's familiar to people who who have read george r r martin's fire and blood but uh but but I I get the feeling that 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 they're going to be doing a lot of their own u- unique twist w- within that story. So, uh, it's it, it sounds pretty cool. If you know, I mean, of course, you have to get it shot, and which is its own challenge nowadays. But they're looking to have it out by uh 2022.
0: Wow, that is fast. I mean, it, it, if it's anywhere as epic as the Game of Thrones series was, that's really fast. Now, yeah. a lot of listeners may not know this, but when you did a lot of your reporting on on the The Game of Thrones, it wasn't just you sitting in your living room and watching an episode and, you know, producing a write-up after the show has aired. You actually went on location and talked to a lot of the actors and folks that were involved behind the scenes. So you went to Spain, you've gone to Northern Ireland, you've uh, been to a number of places. What was your favorite on-location
2: interview spot? Well, first of all, the more that you can call it call it uh, the Game of Thrones, the better, because it's adorable and everybody will snicker that. Uh, <laughs> that so I just think you should just throughout the rest of this, just keep calling it the Game of Thrones. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. When, I mean, my favorite um, location was, I, th- I think that had had to be Spain, um, you know, just because it's, you know, food's amazing. You know, the weather's great. Um Uh, so just uh, as a spot to, to have to be outside all day, all night, you know, you want to be in a place like, like Spain, but you don't really feel like you're on the show nearly as much as you do when you're in Northern Ireland, when it's green and, and, and rainy and cold and kind of miserable. I mean, then, (laughs) then, then you really feel like you're in in westeros you know we, we, when you're 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 in spain it's it's, it's a little more uh a little, little, little more hard to have that immersion <laughs> feeling <laughs>
0: that's uh that's great so um you've also had a lot of a lot of dinner interviews as well and I'm i'm really curious about your dinner interviews because that's that's where people really kind of let down their guard i feel you know when they're eating because you've you've literally got to open your mouth insert food and chew it in front of the person interviewing you. So what what is that like when you sit down across from George R.R. R. Martin or you, uh, you know, you sit across from uh, Kira, I mean, um, uh, <laughs> 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 Amelia Clark and uh, uh, have dinner?
2: Well, well, first of all, uh, you, know, you know, drinking definitely opens up, up people more than eating. I, I <laughs> I would say so 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 it really depends on on whether they they have some of that or not but um you know it's a little surreal and weird at first you know it almost feel it feels like you know you know a job interview or or being on a you know first date you know when you have that sort of awkwardness and and formality and then you both kind of relax and and start enjoying the conversation um and uh, you know the, the one thing that makes it very different from those those things is, of course, you, fans will come up, you know, you know, pretty regularly and and erupt and you know want want photos and and, and that sort of thing. And and it, it's interesting when, when you're around, you know, celebrities that have to uh, that uh, that are really in the public eye, um, how much they get approached, and you know, for them. It's like, oh, great! You know, I I have to deal with this, but they all they're also very much aware that this is probably going to be the biggest moment in in that fan's day, or maybe even their their week or month. So 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 they also you know want to be, be polite and and help them out. Um, but you, you start getting almost like a sixth sense of like people watching and about to like make their move and and move in on you hmm. uh, after a while. <laughs> uh, it, the, the stalker sitting, sitting on the
0: edge of your visions, waiting for an opportunity to hop. I, yeah. I, 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 I was, that.
2: I was with a, uh, Ken Harrington and in, in like a parking lot in, in Northern Ireland one time. And it was the weirdest thing because you looked around and there was like nobody, like nobody around. And then, and then like. You know, two seconds later, there's just like a person like right there. <laughs> you know? it's, it's like it's like people just, man, just kind of appear out of nowhere. Wow. It's, uh, it's, it's really funny. And you saw that evolution,
0: too, because a lot of these actors for the Game of Thrones um, were relative nobodies when they they got cast originally. Right. I mean, especially the kids. I mean, uh, yeah. but certainly even like Amelia Clark who was, I think, 22 when uh, filming started for this. Uh, had not yet had a big break. And I don't, I don't think Kit had either um, for the most part. So the, you watch them sort of go from relative unknowns to being quite popular.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, when they cast it, uh, they didn't have, I mean, they, they had a pretty big budget for a television show, but they didn't have a big budget for trying to pull off Game of Thrones. And when you have to build this whole world it, it's it, it's enormously expensive i mean all the sets and the costumes and the weapons and uh and you have this huge cast i mean the cast is, is very large you know no no matter who, who you have at so for you know obviously they got sean bean uh mm-hmm. playing ned Stark in the first season but for the most part they went with unknown actors because unknown actors are not expensive and but but that also (laughs) means you have to cast it the hard way which is one of the many many ways in this which game of thrones is probably most difficult to produce tv show of all time is is you know they had from the very beginning they had to kind of go through tape after tape and audition after audition and look for that needle in a haystack um you know to, to try and find the right person and it's pretty it's pretty miraculous that 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 they that they got so many parts right and they got so many and they found so many great talents in there and that those talents lasted through the whole show i mean when you're signing like like a you know a 12 13 year old you know you hope they're going to be around for 10 years to continue being in the show and get better as an actor every year and and keep you know renewing their contract and that sort of thing but you don't know i mean you know it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's you know, a lot of things can happen in somebody's life and uh, especially when, when you're dealing with with the kid who who hasn't had any acting experience before so it, 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 the show is just a massive gamble because it really did Um, sit on the shoulders of all that young cast
1: yeah absolutely (laughs) so I was kind of curious especially you know having been in a position where you've written this official behind the scenes of the entire show which has become so famous which it's kind of strange for me because in my mind you're just James so for you to (laughs) have put out something like this it's kind of mind-blowing to me Uh, but I was wondering how like difficult was it to put something like this together like Are you kind of digging into kind of previous notes and Mm -hmm. interviews you've done or have you just built these relationships where it was easy to go back and have these conversations again?
2: I mean, it it was definitely the toughest work year of my life. And I was reminded of something that David Benioff said, uh, the showrunner on like the set of season two, he was talking about how Game of Thrones is making Game of Thrones is so hard that it redefines what you think of as work. And this year that was true for me. It kind of redefined what I thought of as work because I, because I have a one year deadline, but I also have, you know, full-time job at EW, and So I was, it it was, it was, it was, it was, it was extremely difficult because I wanted to do as many new interviews as I, as I could possibly could. I wanted as much of the book to be new as possible. And so when people were reading it, they were constantly finding new things that, that they have never heard, you know, even if they've read everything out there before. And at the same time, I'd been covering the show for 10 years. So I did have this archive of previously published material that I had to sort and, and, uh, and organize you know first and going through that back through that was a trip because there were, i had done so many interviews that, that there was a bunch of stuff in there that i had forgotten about you know and, and i did the interview and i wrote the story and i was like oh i, I forgot that this actor said that or or you know it's been funny since the book came out i i'll i have like game of thrones google alerts on my on my phone and <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll see this headline and it'll be a headline at some publication from a quote in the book that you know, I actually published like you know seven years ago, and but you know, you know nobody knows everything that's out there, and uh, and uh, you know, I guess an editor somewhere thought that was that it was new to them and and new to the readers, so why not? So,
0: <laughs> and it wasn't as easy as you just saying, "I'm going to write a book about Game of Thrones," uh, sorry, the Game of Thrones, yeah. and um, <laughs> y- you you had to. Jump through a few hoops before you got to the point where you could even start putting pen to paper in many cases, right?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, first of all, there was there was, um, uh, you know, I, I had to make a deal with a publisher. I also wanted to make a deal with HBO so I could get photos um, and use of their trademark and uh, you know, you want know, the iron thrown on the cover. But at the same time, we didn't want you know any editorial interference, which is kind of a high bar to hit. Is you know to approach HBO and say, hey, look, I want to write a book about your most popular show of all time and I want photos for it, but I don't want you to tell me what to put in the manuscript. So <laughs> so, so there's definitely some back and forth o- 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 over that. And and yeah, and, and that, that was to me one of the musts. You know, I, I did, absolutely did not want to be in a circumstance where a bunch of executives were sitting around a table with red pens going through my manuscript. And so, you know, we got editorial independence, which was extremely important. And then there's a bunch of must get interviews because to me, unless I got a new interview with George and a new interview with the showrunners and a new interview with, with you know, the lead actors, I just wasn't going to do, do the book. So there were kind of months of uncertainty trying to get these interviews with people that were really exhausted from talking about the show and from doing the show and were really ready to move on and, and you know, get something new in their lives. So it, it was tricky to get, you know, some people on board and thankfully... You know so for for a long time it was like i was working on the book and just unsure whether this was actually going to happen
0: and yet here it is 450 pages later and yeah. uh, tons of really nice pictures uh toward the middle and actually it's sort of sort of like a third of the way through and then another two-thirds of the way through you got another big set of pictures
2: and yeah so. yeah they, they did a beautiful job in the book i mean the cover looks uh, amazing the packaging looks amazing and you, know, you say 450 pages um you know, the book was assigned at a uh, hundred thousand words, which I thought at the time, "Oh my God, how am I going to do a hundred thousand words?" You know, your typical EW cover stories like around two thousand words, and then I ended up writing one hundred fifty thousand words, and that's what's that's what's the four hundred fifty pages. Uh, so I, basically, it ended up being fifty percent longer than I expected, and there's just something about the world, the Game of Thrones, that lends itself to constant expansion. It's like there's always more to kind of explore and and look into, and it always seems like like both simultaneously too much and not enough. And that that's actually something that like George R. R. Martin and the showrunners also struggled with is is that you have this this story with all these different characters, and then it's like, well, how, you know, you know, when is enough? You know, how how do you tie it back all together? Um, yeah you, know, you know what are the endpoints and uh you know, so, you know so it's like going down this road and there's these there's these alleys that constantly shoot off from the sides and you have to decide well how far to go down that alley before you get back on the road you know you know going towards your destination and uh so there is sort of a constant battle in my head in terms of how much to do and how much to cover and uh Ultimately, I want the book to be really readable and entertaining, and that was a key goal. And so, whenever I was faced with a decision, I was just like, "Am I including this just to be, um, you know, comprehensive, or am I including this because it's actually interesting?" And so, I always try to weigh on the side of, you know, if something is actually interesting or not.
0: Very cool. And this is actually not your first. Uh, uh, this is not your first go as a writer, obviously, because you write every day of your life for entertainment weekly. Yes. Uh, but you've, you've actually delved into some of the screenwriting, uh, work yourself in the past.
2: Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a couple uh years, uh, when I first moved to LA, like, like well over a decade ago, um, uh, as you know, struggling screenwriter and, and, uh, I, I definitely really struggled <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, is a brutally difficult uh, thing to do. And I found that there's a whole, you know, I think a lot of times people think of screenwriters and think, well, if you get paid to write a script, you know, you get this big check and you're rich. And it's like, no, there's a whole, there's a whole economy of being paid to write scripts where you're not really making enough money to live on. You're, you're just kind of, you know, a director will give you, you know, you know, you know, ten thousand for this, but then it takes a whole year to do, sort of thing. Um, so I, I spent a lot of time doing that, and I guess the one good thing that that did come out of it um, was that when I got my job at EW and and before that the Hollywood Reporter, I, I felt like I had a better understanding of how stories are put together and how movies work and how the business side works as well. And it also infused me with a bit of empathy for 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 showrunners and, and creators because you 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 get a sense of of the hassles that they go through and and the rejections and and all of that. So so I, I think it ultimately it made me a better reporter, if not a better screenwriter.
0: Awesome, and uh, people can actually see your your movie
2: uh from no? <laughs> please, no please no please no please it's really not my 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 movie um well, it's, wh- it's it's really not <laughs> you know so
0: well yeah. one of your movies actually uh w- was never really produced it was uh the history of Waco essentially, or it was the uh the branch davidian uh research that you
2: did for for Waco Right, yeah, I actually that was one that I, I was really excited about because I I knew that there was a movie there, and since then I, I forget who did, but 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 I think at least there's been like one or two projects like that over the last three years, but it was very very clear that this was a movie or a limited series or something that that the the whole standoff there, and um, and there were some clashes with me and the the director in terms of the the angle to take on it uh and you know how sympathetic it should be towards david Koresh. i was not particularly sympathetic towards towards towards, <laughs> towards the cult leader who who led his uh you know hundreds of people to their to their fiery demise um so uh yeah it's uh yeah it's a uh, it, it it's it's inherently dramatic uh, subject. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that the other projects that came out recently on that did it well and did it right. Um, uh, but I don't really have an urge to watch them having spent a year on, on, on a script about it.
0: (laughs) And now you live a, what, an hour and a half South of
1: Waco right now. So there you go.
2: (laughs) Well, Indeed.
1: it looks like we are at our halfway point, which means that we are at our tell me something good segment.
0: Tell me something good. Ooh, good. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: this is the uh, the point in the show where we give our Austin otaku recommendation for the listeners of something that is generally nerdy that they definitely need to check out. So with that guest honors,
2: what what would you recommend? <laughs> Okay, this is not particularly nerdy actually. Um so but it is something that I'm watching now and it's it's sort of the opposite of of really nerdy. I I I mean anyone who's a sports fan has already seen this. But here's the thing and this is why I chose it. I am not a sports fan. I do not know sports. I don't know the sports balls. I don't know innings. I don't know periods. I don't know quarters. I don't know touchdowns. I I I don't know I don't know that whole world at all. But um, a friend convinced me to watch uh, the Last Dance on Netflix, the story of uh, you know Michael Jordan's uh, final season with with the Chicago Bulls, and it is riveting stuff. It, it is it is a it is a limited series for people who who don't like sports you know who who are the type of people that would you know listen to your podcast and think sports aren't for them it completely draws you in and it actually has this weird advantage for non-sports fans uh, and that is is that uh if, if you're like me you have no idea what's going to happen in this story. Like I, I think of Michael Jordan as the guy from space jam. Right. So, so the, the story is filled with tons of twists and turns. And, uh, if we're, if, if you're a non-sports fan, it, it kind of plays on an entirely other, uh, suspenseful, you know, compelling level. Was that the
1: season where he got that really bad flu? I don't know. No spoilers. I'm
2: halfway through it.
1: (laughs) I also am not a huge sports ball fan. I played a little when I was a kid and I just remember there being a season where he looked like shit uh, Hmm. and had like really puffy eyes and was still playing. I remember my dad being like, yeah, see, that's what you would have to do if you went and played professional basketball. So I went to art school. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well that and, I don't know, grow another, uh, foot a night, <laughs> yeah, I, I would suppose, that. <laughs> at <true> least that. <laughs> what about your recommendations for the week, Jesse? So I'm, I'm sticking with a Halloween theme. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to beat this to death for the rest of this month. So I recently started reading and I'm halfway through the novelization and sequel of Hocus Pocus. Um, so I read through what essentially was the first movie and now onto the, the sequel and it is awesome. Uh, it takes a few liberties where it um, it adds some minor details to set up the next story that weren't in the movie from 93. Um, it also adds in a few little details that kind of puts you into the character's mind a little bit more. Um, and it's super interesting. It's one of my favorite movies, so it's, it's cool to read it. Granted, it is very much a young adult kind of easy read, but with... A kid that's the easiest thing for me to do so mm-hmm. i picked that up and i've really enjoyed it so yeah
0: be and my recommendation they are coming out with
1: a sequel right did i read that recently they are indeed i believe there was a picture of the ladies on set as as the sanderson sisters again <laughs> i could be wrong but it looked great if it was fake it looked convincing fantastic that was a fun movie i enjoyed that yeah i like it a lot what about you keith
0: uh, so I swear I'm, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave the, uh, archipelago of, of Japan at some point and, and it's not a Japanese book you got this week. <laughs> it's actually not a book. I'm actually going to go and, and sort of play off of the joke last week where I, I said that both, uh, Shelley Fagan and I, uh, are into hair care and skincare products, uh, and, and actually give you a skincare product. I am a huge fan and have been a huge fan for, uh, Oh, gosh, more than a decade now of this product that you can get called Salux. Um, It is a – and that's S-A-L-U-X. It is a Japanese beauty skin bath wash cloth slash towel. And uh, this thing is amazing. It exfoliates the skin. Um, you know, it, uh, nice and foamy. It's fantastic. I highly recommend it. The older I get, the more I realize I got to exfoliate. And as you get into your thirties, Jesse, you realize you'll need to exfoliate. So I highly recommend the Salux, uh, washcloths. <laughs> I know this is like really, really lame and they are not a sponsor, but I have been a fan of this for a while and I, I can't believe I haven't recommended it yet. So there you go. Those are our recommendations for the week.
1: Thanks guys. So as as we're kind of talking about the the beats that you've you've worked in in the past, of course, one of mine and Keith's particular interests, while we both I believe enjoy Game of Thrones, it's definitely not our mainstay. But the fact that you worked on The Mandalorian is incredibly intriguing. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what that experience was like?
2: uh yeah especially with uh, season two right around the corner here um which has been kept as this total black box by by disney mandalorian's tough to cover because there's a lot of secrecy like more secrecy on that show than than even game of thrones um to to give you an idea of how secret uh, for the first season um Disney showed us uh, 20 minutes of advanced footage and we were we're all excited and we went down to their 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 studio and this is like I think a month before before air, maybe a month and a half. And so we watched 20 minutes of footage and and you know, it, it was really good. And then we watched the premiere where they unveil Baby Yoda at the end of it. And then there's a scene in the next episode, the child, um, this 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 fight scene, and we realized they edited baby, they digitally edited baby Yoda out of the scene we saw. So we wouldn't see baby Yoda during, during, during our, <laughs> our, 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 our preview. Footage. So, so because it, in, in this, in this fight, fight scene, it keeps cutting to baby Yoda and, and we're like, wait a second. So baby Yoda is actually in the scene. And we just saw this whole alternate universe version of the scene that was cut together just for us. So we, but you know, but to keep that hidden, um, so uh, that's that's kind of the level that they go to uh, to, uh, to to protect secrets with that show
0: I can I can see that though because you know leading up to any of the episodes being released from Star Wars, there were always these you could probably see hundreds uh, if not more uh, videos from you know Star Wars Theory and Mike Zero and a bunch of other vloggers that sort of theorize what the next episode might be about or they might have caught a whisper of something and then they want to sort of amplify that and you know invariably it all always turns out to be bullshit (laughs) 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 anything that they say in these sort of theory videos um it it, it never proves to be true so i'm really um i'm i'm not surprised that they're much more secretive about the mandalorian because it has been hugely popular with good reason because it You know, in addition to being a Star Wars story, uh, quite frankly, it is a it is a show that could stand on its own, even if it weren't in the Star Wars universe. It's very much a I wouldn't call it a spaghetti Western, per se, but I'd certainly say it definitely has a lot of the elements of of a classic Western movie um, that could have translated to any universe.
2: Yeah, that's, uh, that's what, uh, uh, the director and producer, uh, Dave Filoni, who of course, you know, worked on, um, Clone Wars and, and Rebels, uh, you know, before this, uh, was talking about in an interview that we did for, for season two, he was just talking about, because I, I asked him, I was like, why did, why did this work when, you know, I didn't put it this way, but you know, when the recent movies, you know, didn't and, and he was like you know we kept it simple you know we 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 went back to the basics of you know you know basically the first act of the first movie where you have these characters and situations that you can understand you know there isn't some huge complex net of story that you're having to kind of keep weaving together and keep paying off and keep referencing you know it's 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 you know here you have a gunslinger and he's in the in the space version of the old west you know Mm -hmm. uh you know here you have this child and you don't need to know anything about baby yoda to or i mean you don't need to know anything about yoda to understand that that the child is is cute and adorable and and vulnerable and he's trying to protect it. I mean, you you don't need to know anything about the Jedi or anything else. So it it just kind of uh, plays very simply, and they very much made it so that anybody could start watching that without having watched anything else previously.
0: Indeed, and um, they had a lot of fun with the show too. I mean, they brought in basically Star Wars Troll Bill Burr as as a character in one of the episodes, and you could tell by the writing in that that they were really trying to sort of poke at the serious fans. They they mm-hmm. uh, they brought up uh, gungans. Uh, yeah. you know, Bill Burr sort of says, you know, the Mandalorian must look like a gungan underneath, yeah. and then they they bring up that Casino Planet from uh, the second. Of the, right. of the of the of the sequels, uh, that really irritated everyone. Um, you know, stormtroopers can't hit a target, but he was a you know a, a sharpshooter. Uh, I really love how they used Bill Burr for that because Bill Burr doesn't care at all about the Star Wars universe. He had no interest in it before this, and here they bring this guy in to sort of poke fun at the at the franchise itself.
2: Yeah, there's yeah, there's definitely some of his lines where you're just going, like, going mm-hmm. Bill Burr must have come up with that. I mean, like when he p- points at the uh, at the um, one. Uh, 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 New Republic uh, guard, and he he's, makes fun of his his shoes matching his belt. His, his, <laughs> he, 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 he's, he's got the white shoes and the white belt. He's like, yeah. look, his, his shoes match his belt. You know, I mean, that's like that's know, no, you know, no, 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 nobody's sitting down and and like typing that line into the script. That's <laughs> that has to be Bill Burr,
0: one hundred percent. Uh, so I, I assume that they haven't really let you in on any of the special guests that might be appearing up in the the second season of The Mandalorian yet.
2: Well, uh, no, no, they they've been uh, very secretive on that, but uh, you know they're they're not denying a whole lot either. I mean, there's there's definitely uh, people coming to the show. I mean, I think there's going to be some some big shakeup at some point yeah uh, on on uh, on that show there's it it, it seems like they like like they're primed for for some potential you know you know game of thrones like drama which is actually a show that um showrunner John Favreau has said that he's taken some inspiration from uh, for this season and 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 beyond in in terms of the world building and certainly in terms of many of the things involved like i mean just as a marketing thing if you watch the trailer for if you watch the trailer closely for The Mandalorian, I'm pretty sure that that trailer is only pulling stuff from, like, maybe the first two episodes, <laughs> I, I I'm, I'm, you know, which is something that, that Thrones would largely do, too. It'd be like 90% of the trailer was from, like, episode one once they got into the later seasons as to not spoil anything. I I, I, I feel like that trailer is, like, tip of the iceberg trailer.
0: That's a good way to do it. And certainly emulating what Game of Thrones did from a development standpoint makes a lot of sense because uh, that show carved its own path in so many ways that other shows wouldn't have dared done. And, uh, you know, for example, killing – oh, I can't really uh, (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> mention that's a bit of a spoiler but certainly killing off a lot of the characters that became favorites was one of the ways that they they went against what shows had traditionally done in the past so uh, I'm curious to see what they do with this you and I talked quite a bit about the Mandalorian in fact uh during the first season because as you found out very quickly I'm a big fan of the Mandalorian people and the history of the Mandalorian so um
2: uh, yeah, I, I I would occasionally frantically text you for 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 some deep cut fact checking on <laughs> uh, you know for, you know about like you know you know season two episode twelve of Clone Wars or, or 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 whatnot. So yeah, you're 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 very helpful in that regard.
0: Yeah, and it was tough for me to decide what to tell you because you know there is the Mandalorian history that we know of from the the stuff that's in canon right now. It's right. so the stuff from like, you know, the clone wars and, and rebels. Um, and then there's the stuff that uh, is from the expanded universe and legends that haven't yet been integrated All into been the pasta. canon. <laughs> but I think they add to the, the, the story there. And I, I'm really curious to see how they use that within the, the Mandalorian uh, going forward.
2: Yeah, I, I, you know, I haven't read a, a huge amount of the Expanding Universe stuff. I, I did read the uh, Tharn tr- trilogy, though, and and do wonder if they're going to bring him in at some point. I feel like they will. I, I feel like that, that seems like a character, you know, a potential, you know, here's the big bad of, like, season three or season four that they bring in, you know, yeah. if, uh, if, if Mando heroically you know, defeats uh, Moff Gideon at some point. (laughs) Well, that would be very
0: interesting because yeah, Thrawn disappeared at the very end of rebels. uh, And, um, you know, they went off into some distant part of, of the galaxy, you know, um, at toward the end of that. So that should be, that would be a very interesting turn there uh, for sure. So you cover a lot of nerd beats to say the least Uh, you, you and I have, have checked out uh, Aquaman uh, Shazam, Mm-hmm. Um, what else did we see? We, did we see Justice League. Uh, I mean, there's there's a couple of things that we've we've you and I watched together, and you've actually reported on. Um, have you have you found yourself outside of Game of Thrones with a with a beat that you were like, oh, I really hope this works out, and I hope this goes goes
2: for a long time? I mean, I I did get onto Westworld pretty early. That was that was another show where I from the outset thought this 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 could be big and mm-hmm. you know i want to get on this and it has been big you know it, it it hasn't been you know game of thrones big but but it's 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 definitely been a big show and, uh, and another one that's near and dear to my heart but but yeah it, i get to cover it so infrequently is uh black mirror because mm-hmm. i just i absolutely adore that show i i i, I think that's just one of the best shows out there and they have many episodes, which are, are, are absolutely perfect little pieces of, of sci-fi drama. So, um, uh, but you know, that's also very much on hiatus right now. And, uh, there's no, no return in sight at the moment, unfortunately. Hmm.
1: So I was curious, uh, is there anything that you've started out covering that you were just kind of like, okay, I, whatever, I kind of get it. <laughs> but then you became like a big fan of,
2: Hmm. I usually don't get more of a fan of something as things, th- things go on, <laughs> you know, because you start to understand all the, the, the nuts and bolts and everything eventually sort of becomes work in the end. Um, it's more, much more common for you to start out liking something and then end up disliking something. And that would be like the case of, of like Dexter, uh, which is a show that notoriously went in, into the toilet in its final couple seasons. But Um, that's when I, where I'm doing the weekly recaps on and you're, you know, you, you, you write recaps for fans. So you're supposed to be writing, you know, they're not reviews, but at the same time, it gets harder and harder when you're sort of struggling to, to to find anything to appreciate about about (laughs) the show. And then you eventually just start, start getting, you know, sarcastic as, 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 as you can, you know, to try and. Uh, you know, you'll be at peace with yourself, you know, because it's just, gets, it gets so rough in terms of, uh, of, uh, of just watching it.
0: <laughs> How about missed opportunity shows? Have, have Has another editor at large been assigned a beat that you were like, Oh, I really wish I had gotten that.
2: Uh, you know, I was jealous of, of walking dead for a little while. Dalton Ross does an amazing job covering walking dead, but that's one where sort of with Dexter, I'm, um, i i 've turned on it at, as a fan, and I think it would be difficult to you know sort of increasingly difficult to 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 sort of cover that you know you know while at the same time holding a m c in a lot of contempt for the way that they 've handled that show I mean, they 've basically just run it into the ground and <laughs> uh, and you know they do not care really narratively about it from what I can tell. They they really just want to kind of squeeze every last bit they can get out of it, including, you know, know, they recently announced a spinoff with Daryl and Carol, two of the most popular characters in the show, and they announced it before the final season aired. So it's like, okay, well, now if you're a fan, you know those two characters survive. You've been watching them on this show for all these years, and AMC just kind of spoiled part of the ending for you. Right. You know, you, you're just to get out there. That hey, hey, we, you know, we 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 have another Walkie Dead show coming. It's <laughs> like it's it's sort of like the opposite of the way like HBO or Disney or or, or Netflix would handle uh, a a creative you know endeavor like that. But at the same time, uh, AMC has uh, Better Call Saul, which is one of the the, the best shows on the air right now.
0: Hmm. hmm. Gotcha. So we um, you know, our show generally is about successful folks that have hobbies that help sort of inspire their their drive and their full-time jobs. And mm-hmm. then, of course, you come in and you quote Benioff, who basically says, you have to become obsessed with this work and this, is, <laughs> this has has to be an all-consuming type of thing. So what what is your experience in, in dealing with, um, you know, folks in Hollywood and, and uh, in the entertainment industry in general when it comes to success for folks who either are 100% obsessed, like benioff was mentioning or folks that have a good nice balance of of work and and uh, personal interest have you seen anything consistent about that
2: um i i haven't i other than that benioff point i don't think that you need to be like that for everything i i i don't think that but i do think there are some things that in order to go to a certain level that you have to be you know you know, be just absolutely obsessed and um, yeah, you know, it's funny because yeah, you asked me I know you do the, the this this outside hobbies question and and how I don't really have any. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I I you know in in terms of how uh you know hobbies that that, that affected my work I went through like a big self-improvement kick in my twenties, like reading every personal improvement book I could find listening to Tony Robbins tapes, uh, you know, reading everything by Eckhart Tolle. He's like the power of now guru. Basically, if there, if there was a, how to improve something and with a seven in the title, I would run out and grab that book. <laughs> and I, th- I think it just came from not, not wanting to be a failure and, and, and wanting to to be better. But, but, th- but that was kind of a hobby. That wasn't geared towards specifically journalism, but it was just kind of geared toward me, but that did end up you know impacting you, know, how, you know, how, how I did my job and and, uh, and my career i think
0: yeah absolutely and I've read a couple of eckhart tolls stuff a very interesting history that guy has going from sleeping on a bench in a park to uh yeah being one of the most read writers i think in in modern history.
2: Yeah. 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 It's, and with all that stuff, it's like, I don't often, I practice it, but at least I know the theories. So it, you know, occasionally when I'm in a bit of a crunch, I can sort of access one of those ideas and, uh, and pull myself out of it.
1: One thing that we were kind of talking about a little bit, um, where obviously your, your dinners that you frequently have with the the celebrities that you cover, but you also have mentioned that one of your actual hobbies away from work is hatchet throwing, which is something I really enjoy. Uh, I think, Keith, you were there. We did it a couple of years ago at mm-hmm. a, a conference and it was super fun. Something I've always wanted to get into, but it's hard to get into a place around here. They're always mm-hmm. booked up with douchey bachelor parties. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, but, that is the depot. <laughs> that being said. If you could take one celebrity on one of your beats or even a beat that you don't have to a hatchet throwing uh, place, who who would it be? Who do you think would be the best at it? Who do you think would be the worst at it? <laughs> who would be, be,
2: be the best at it? Well, I mean, uh, best I that obvious. It. Who would be the best at it? I mean, mm-hmm. Kit Harrington would be the best at it. He's he, I he, think he's he, he, he I mean he he's he's a swordsman at this point. I mean he he, he knows true. his way around a blade. Um, Uh, Who would be worse at it? I don't know. But I, you know, in terms of a celebrity that that I I would like to hang out with, I mean, George Lucas is one person that I have not been able to interview despite covering the Mandalorian. And I feel like he'd be terrible at hatchet throwing, but I I, I would enjoy the conversation. Uh,
1: I I I agree. I think he would be pretty bad at hatchet (laughs) throwing. (laughs) <laughs> too
0: funny. Yeah. I think I think we've actually got a, a competition that needs to happen then because I I think Jesse and I both are under the impression that Jason Momoa would dominate uh, oh, that's at right. hatchet throwing. Yeah,
2: because he, has, he had that video too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so you're you're you're, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah, Momoa. I think we should so have an Austin o-
0: Yeah, I think we need an Austin Otaku sponsored Kit Harrington Jason Momoa hatchet throwing competition. Ah,
1: uh, hell, George Lucas too. Bring his ass. <laughs> Let's bring Let's him go. in as well. Why not? <laughs> Make it happen, James. Get us Momoa, Harrington, and Lucas. We're going to do hatchet <laughs> throwing. That would be quite the trio. Somebody. Yeah,
0: well, let's do this. We'll see if Maisie uh, can do it too, because you know she she might have a little bit of um. Oh, she's had tons <laughs> tons of story play experience. Yeah. yeah, she she could definitely dominate as well. Yeah. So let's just do a whole GOT hatchet throwing competition plus George Lucas. All. Maybe yeah yeah maybe yeah. maybe throw in some
2: Bill on. Burr. Bill Burr
0: get Bill Burr in there.
2: <laughs> yeah yeah uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I would, I, I, get, I would, I'll I would, take them all. Whatever. I was doing league play for a while and then fell off it because partly of the bachelor party, you know, um, popularity surge that you you talked about because because you know suddenly when when you see it on everybody's Instagram and everything, it, it's, it it does take some of the fun out of oh I found some cool little niche thing that as a person who has previously discussed is terrible at sports i i i found myself weirdly good at that it's like oh i finally found something <laughs> that you can almost call athletic that i sort of naturally don't suck at and uh but yeah that and but then the uh, the bachelor party invasion happened
1: it's really funny when we went in vegas a couple years ago they had shovel heads that we threw Mm -hmm. and me and one of our other friends brian mcdowell found that we were really damn good at throwing shovel heads uh so we joked because we're both uh citizens of a micronation called ladonia um and we we joked about trying to make the shovel head throwing shovel heads uh the (laughs) national weapon of (laughs) ladonia currently in the works uh we we shall see yeah that was a good place They
0: had spears uh they had mm-hmm. hatchet heads they had the um you could throw a spade you could throw um steel cards uh as well uh throwing stars uh they had pretty much everything uh there that you could throw
1: and uh that was a lot of fun as I remember. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of drinking and a lot of nerdy <laughs> digital marketers. So uh, I remember half the night. I do remember throwing the shovel heads.
0: It, it was funny. The drunker I was, the better my hatchet throwing was. I don't know totally. if that's related to some sort of Viking uh, blood somewhere deep inside of my, my genome. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm happy to accept that.
2: Yeah, the 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 one here in Austin is is pretty strict in terms of the number of things you can throw. It's mainly hatchets and axes. But I do know that there are other ones like that one Vegas where it's like they'll just give you all sorts of weapons of destruction to to kind of throw. <laughs> here's, here's some here's some throwing stars. Here here's some kitchen knives. You know, just you know, throw whatever you want.
1: Uh, here's a baby. Throw the baby. <laughs> exactly. So
0: dining is another one of your favorites. Um,
2: you're you're. I, I was struggling to fill out the hobbies line of of your like intake form. Okay. So I'm like, well I like eating. Who doesn't like eating?
0: <laughs> well that's true. That is true. But uh, you and I have had an opportunity to to eat at some pretty nice restaurants here in Austin and uh, I, I know that this pandemic has really ruined a lot of a lot of the ability to go out and eat a lot. What is what is the place you wish you could go right now that you are, are either avoiding due to just you know worries about COVID or may have closed due to COVID or may have limited availability
2: I, I think that has to be uh, red Red ash right I mean mm. the, it's, a, it's a downtown sort of you know modern Italian place with uh they have this this just garlic soaked country bread, garlic bread that's only like 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 two bucks a person. <laughs> and that's all you can eat, and it's just like this carb, salty, garlicky, buttery carb explosion in your mouth. It's fantastic.
0: Yeah, and they they've got my favorite cocktail there, Satan Circus. Yes, it is, yes, uh, <laughs> it is a wonderful drink, uh, and it's usually usually if it's prepared by the, the the bartender with the purple hair, it
1: is usually better and more potent. In fact. <laughs> of course you would know which bartender makes the best version of the drink at the restaurant. Indeed. <laughs> oh yeah, we went for your birthday last year and it was amazing. Yes. It's fantastic. It was, so good.
2: Mm-hmm. It was
1: funny because it was such a carb heavy dinner and then it was super late and I was we were leaving and I was in a really shitty garage across the street that people couldn't pay so the line was backed up. So I ended up being stuck in the garage after a very carb heavy dinner for like two hours just trying to get home. Oh it nap was time. Amazing. That's yeah, Totally <laughs> <laughs> well, I believe we are at the uh, the final segment of the show, the lightning round. Okay. Ooh, lightning round. Crackle, crackle, crackle. So, yeah, this is our our
0: weekly segment. It's a, you know, last week we switched it up just for Halloween questions, but we'll go back to our standard question uh, format. We have three questions we ask every guest. And uh, at some point, we're going to put a book together and have a psychology uh, professional. Take a look at it and figure out what's wrong with this.
2: Oh, oh, so 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 I so already. I, I thought that was what you are asking earlier. So I sort of blew, blew the hobby work question, didn't I? Well, well, we we well, can we, answer it. We, we can we, we 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 can kind of just play that, and you can say ask that. I'm like, I thought. The, oh, I I I had this prepared or whatever, you know, something.
0: Nah, nah, we can, we can go and just rattle through all three of these and you can okay. say uh you know your answer cuz uh, yeah, so first question, how do you think your hobbies have
2: contributed to your success in your full-time work? Yeah, the, uh, this was the, uh, the, the, the self-improvement kick thing that, um, that I'm so glad you asked me about. So, so I get to admit that I've read these books a second time you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and had this sort of a phase in my life, but yeah, that, that would be that.
0: Yeah. And don't, don't feel bad about that. I had my multi-level marketing phase in my life and I read pretty much every self-improvement, uh, book that there was, you know, how to win friends and influence people and, uh, you know how to start a conversation um think and grow rich all of that uh oh yeah, stuff, yeah so. think and grow
2: rich yeah yeah I, i'm I'm literally looking at my bookshelf right now, how to change your life in seven days, you know it's like i i you know there there's still a few of them like yeah, you know poking out amongst the shelf, seven habits of highly effective podcasters, just kidding, um see,
1: I think a
0: lot and I'm not rich i it's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it's bullshit. Okay, second question. If you could be one fictional character, who would it be?
2: Um, You know, I was always jealous of Marty McFly growing up, Um, probably just because, you know, like a lot of Gen Xers had like divorced parents, uh, you know, and struggled a bit financially and and but you know to be back in 1985, just starting my career with a big fancy truck, a girlfriend, and great parents, like at the end of that movie, that that was that was always, and also being a you know just a cool person, uh, that that was always sort of uh, the a, a great wish fulfillment ending uh, for that movie, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are in the future where Biff became president. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. We we are now in the back to the future to uh, Biff town uh, timeline. Yes. <laughs> okay. Final question. What other interests would you like to pursue if time wasn't a constraint? This is really boring one, but I, when I went to the throne sets each year, um, that was basically my travel. Uh because I would just a- attack on a few extra days uh, during each trip. And, uh, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't really justify fighting myself. I don't know why looking back, you know, doing like a, a second overseas trip in a year. And uh, so as a result, I've been many, many times the same few countries, uh, you know, like Croatia and Northern Ireland and Spain, and they're great. And, but I, even those, I didn't really see as a tourists properly because I was, I was working almost the entire time. So, so I, I would really like to, to, uh, so so I'm sort of a fake global traveler because of that. And I I would like to be like a real global traveler and, uh, get to, you know, Japan and Australia and, and a bunch, bunch of other countries that, um, that I've always had on my list.
0: Well, as conference circuit speakers, you know, Jesse can attest to this too. We often travel to places and then we see what, whatever it is between the airport and the conference, uh, center and our hotel rooms and generally that that's the extent of it so i can totally relate to that what's interesting about your game of thrones sets in croatia and spain and and northern ireland i i imagine and you can correct me if i'm wrong but they're they have actually been able to develop additional tourism because of uh, those sets as well huge
2: amounts of tourism i mean they have they have i mean for northern ireland they, they pretty much revitalized the they're credited with like pretty single handedly revitalizing their economy, you know, both in terms of tourism, but just and also in terms of the amount of money that they, that, that the production, uh, brought to those areas. And then that production being su- successful meant other productions coming there. So, um, yeah, in Spain, in Croatia too, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's many, many millions of dollars for, for a lot of people, uh, wherever they filmed anything.
0: That's fantastic. Good for yeah.
1: them all right well that was our lightning round thanks for participating so with that i think we are at the end of the show uh just wanted to again say huge thank you for for coming on uh it's really sucked that we haven't been able to get together since uh since pandemic but it, it was nice, nice I, chatting. i, I you. know
2: last time was a uh, dim sun right
1: i think so yeah, yeah yeah so that was end of last year yeah yeah Wow. Yeah, pretty much before everything went to hell. But uh, yeah,
0: thanks for coming on, uh, listeners. Definitely check out James's book, "Fire Cannot Kill a Dragon." You know, Game of Thrones and the official untold story of the epic series, available on pretty much wherever you can buy a book at this point.
1: With that, uh, thanks.
0: This has been the Austin Otaku Podcast. To learn more about us and our show, to be a guest, or to subscribe to our show, go to www.austinotaku.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.